trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there. Did you miss me? Well, I know one or two people did because they actually reached out and asked, hey, what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, last week I had the privilege of filling in for my friend Bill Colley, who hosts uh, the morning show on one of the Twin Falls, Idaho radio stations. Bill is a fixture. Bill's a legend in these parts. And uh, he had some vacation days to burn up and leave some pretty big shoes to fill, so... They, they called in uh, the rookie here off the bench to, to fill in for him, and I did. And it was a lot of fun. In fact, i got to share this with you just because this is the kind of thing that, that sticks with me. This is, this is what makes life worthwhile. Um, you know I don't like politics, or at least I, I try not to build so much of my life on the foundation of politics. In other words, just because... You know, it's going on doesn't mean I've got to be talking about it or I'm not doing my job. So through the week, keeping in mind, I'm doing four hours a day filling in for Bill. There's a fair amount of political stuff going on. There just is. And when you open up the phone lines, typically that's what people are going to be talking about. Now, I steered clear of political discussions a couple of times deliberately And I was kind of surprised, actually I was kind of relieved to have a couple of people tell me, just just two, no more than two, it was really nice to have a break from the politics. And and here's what they were saying, okay, so if you're, look, if you're really into politics, this isn't to put you down, it's not to tell you you're stupid or you're evil for for focusing on those things, but um, one individual said, you know, the thing I hate about political stuff is it seems like we say the same things over and over. And I was like, yeah, I get that. And I kind of like that break too. And then um, it's just fun sometimes to talk about something other than, you know, well, and here's the other thing. It's, I, I have described talk radio, which I love, but, uh, but it has kind of morphed into, all right, here's what I'm mad at. Now let's get mad at these things together. Hi, caller, go ahead. Do you hate this as much as I do? You do? Well, you're my friend. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but that's the dynamic that seems to come out of a lot of discussion, particularly some of the bigger national shows. It's just outrage. Hello there, everybody. You, you don't even have to ask who I'm imitating, right? <laughs> it's just a matter of, uh, I'm going to tell you about everything that's gotten me mad today, and by the end of this discussion, you're going to be mad too. But there was something that came from from filling in for Bill that that I have to admit, this really touched me. So we were talking on Friday about, uh, you know, what was, what was the best entry-level job you had? In other words, when you were first starting to earn money for yourself, Look, we all had a bunch of crappy jobs, right? But what about the good ones? Did, did somebody, you know, score something really, you know, fun? And I was surprised at the number of, of people who called in and said, yeah, this is what my first job, some of them really, I think, got a leg up early on, 13 years old. They were, they were doing some pretty, pretty high-tech stuff. But I think for me, 
the best part was uh, driving around the the owner of uh, Crowley Pharmacy, Bob Crowley, had a Thunderbird. And it was my privilege after school to uh, to go deliver prescriptions in, uh, you know, Bob's car. So I know technically I was a clerk. I was a uh, delivery boy. You know, I swept the floors. I vacuumed. I took out the trash, all that stuff. But really, what they were paying me to do was drive around and sing with the radio. That's what I did. And I loved it. And it was fun. And apparently this sparked a, a comment from a listener because Bill reached out and he says, hey, you know, this uh, this listener, Leonard, uh, asked, are you the guy who used to deliver his newspapers over on, on this street? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I was his paper boy. In fact, I used to say hi to him and his wife. Every morning they would be out jogging and I would see them as I was out there doing my paper out. And Bill wrote back, and this is the part that just kind of blew me away. He says, yeah, well, Leonard says you were the best paper boy that that neighborhood ever had. And I had to stop for a second and reread that. And then I thought, you know, I kind of like that in my obituary. (laughs) It's like, I'm not uh, planning on going anywhere anytime soon, but I'm going to go ahead and and add that to my obituary just in case. It was, seriously, it was one of the kindest things anybody has said. So, I've taken way too long on that story. Let's let's get into some of the current events and things that are going on. Oh, actually, before I do that, I have a small confession, but I'm only going to confess a little. This is called a tease. I'm, so, I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you a little bit of a tease. I am working on something with a very dear and trusted family member that, uh, that I'm really excited about. And you're going to be hearing more about this as, as we move forward, but the idea is that we live in a world where there is a lot of chaos, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of anger, and uh, we, are, we are creating something that uh, I think is going to, to help people reclaim their, their sovereignty. In other words, reclaim their options in a world of chaos and uncertainty. And I'm really excited for this. Because we need to understand who owns us. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there too because I think this is an important part of it. We need to partner with our creator. We need to be right with our creator. If we really want to, you know, have the kind of life that we were born to have. And I don't mean in terms of material luxury and yes, fame and fortune and good food at every turn and, you know, raucous laughter. I'm talking about something much more important. I'm talking about a life that impacts the world for the better. And we're going to be teaching people about how to, uh, how to reclaim that lost sovereignty. I know sovereign's kind of a bad word to a lot of people because, you know, no, sovereign citizen, I don't recognize your jurisdiction because of the gold fringe on that flag. Not that kind of sovereignty. We're talking about ultimately the final resting place, the final repository for authority, as in who owns you, who has authority over your life. You know, a lot of people are, are scared right now. They're waiting for somebody in authority or somebody that they, uh, they look up to, someone with status, someone who's better than me, you know, to tell them what they need to do. 
Right now, the people who, uh, who have that status, for the most part, they're not going to tell you to do anything that is in your best interest. They will tell you to do a lot of things in their best interest. Eat the bugs. Do not own anything. Rent everywhere and everything. Own nothing. Be happy. Oh, yeah, and stop using electricity. Interesting times. But uh, I'll be telling you more about this coming up. We've got some some marvelous online work that's taking place. But I'm super excited. I've been I've been feeling for some time like you know what I I like what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. But there's more. And historically, when I have uh, have had that feeling, and especially if I take it to God and say, look, I feel like there's something more that I need to be doing. I'm not sure what that is. Um, the, the universe has a way of kind of changing things on me. I won't go into a whole lot more detail, but just say that uh, sometimes that's when I get the little gentle nudge out the door. Oh, by the way, now you're on a different path. Good luck with that. But I've learned to roll with it, and I will be keeping you posted as we move forward. Now, coming up in this, uh, in this program, we're going to talk about what may be the most important free speech case in American history. Yes, the Supreme Court. They've actually agreed to hear arguments in Biden v. Missouri. This is a case challenging government censorship, and uh, this is something I didn't really expect the Supreme Court would want to hear it. But this has to do with the government trying to censor what it calls misinformation, but really is just challenges, and apparently correct factual challenges to the prevailing narrative. So, on the other side of our break, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about keeping perspective. I know the the terror attacks uh, almost a month ago. Can you believe it's been almost a month? It'll be a month tomorrow since the terror attacks in Israel. And uh, there's a lot of concern, especially with the number of military-age males coming across the U.S.'s southern border, that maybe we're going to see something similar here. I'm not trying to promote fear, but I will tell you, I think that is definitely in the realm of possibility. J.B. Shirk says, if there's one thing that we know for sure, okay, we don't know, is a terror attack going to happen? We don't know that, but this much we do know, our federal government will not be there to protect us when it does. So if you want to be protected, that's something you're going to have to take responsibility for. We'll talk about that coming up. Also, uh, new footage of Ray Apps on January 5th of 2021. Man, if he wasn't a Fed, he sure is missing a good opportunity. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, I want to give uh, special thanks... I have had a, a couple of, uh, of listeners who have reached out and very generously subscribed to this program. And if not to this program, they subscribe to my other program, Hide in Plain Sight. But I appreciate the support. You are wonderful. And, uh, and it's, I, I, take your, I take your subscription and the donation that goes with that as, as a very sacred trust. So thank you again for, for believing in what I'm doing here. And, and look forward to some really cool things that are, that are on the way. Let's talk about the U.S. Supreme Court to hear a bombshell censorship case, Missouri v. Biden. This is an article by Ben Terangi. I hope I'm saying your name right, Ben. This is from intellectualtakeout.org. 
And it starts with a quote from Jen Psaki, then White House Press Secretary, back in July of 2021. Quote, we are flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation. Now, these were words that would return to haunt the Biden administration and its sprawling network of faceless federal thought police. Over two years later, the highest court in the land has now agreed to hear arguments in Biden in uh, Missouri, rather v. Biden. The bombshell case brought against the federal government and its agencies first triggered when Saki belled the cat. Now, the latest news makes it harder to deny that President Joe Biden's White House violated the First Amendment by pressuring big tech platforms to silence content, much of which was factual, that simply proved inconvenient to their COVID-era agenda. Topics that were muffled by the Biden administration include the COVID-19 lab leak theory, pandemic lockdowns, vaccine side effects, election fraud, and the Hunter Biden laptop story. That's according to the original lawsuit. The United States Supreme Court has granted cert in Missouri v. Biden. The nation's highest court will hear the most important free speech case in American history. I know, that's, let's not overbill it. This is according to Eric Schmidt, announced on Twitter last week. As then the Attorney General of the state of Missouri, Schmidt was one of two attorneys general to act as plaintiffs in the case on behalf of their states, the other being Attorney General Jeff Landry of Louisiana. Joining them as litigants were five other individuals, mostly medical doctors. Now, too plentiful to recount here, that long list of defendants starts with President Biden and his current press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, before taking in a swath of U.S. federal departments and dozens of officials. So the Supreme Court announcing that it's going to hear this case, this actually comes as a mixture of good news as well as bad news for defenders of free speech. Now, the bad news is that before examining the full record of the case, SCOTUS granted the Biden legal team's application for stay, effectively allowing them to resume colluding with big tech, pro, big tech platforms rather until that case is heard by the bench next spring. Could be a very interesting ruling coming out come June, right? Now, the bad is that before examining the final record of the case, uh, um, Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorich dissented in the 6-3 ruling, um, arguing government censorship of private speech is antithetical to our democratic form of government. And therefore, today's decision is highly disturbing. So I guess that's, that's the good news is you've got at least three of these, uh, these justices that are standing up. But they said, at this time in the history of our country, what the court has done, I fear, will be seen by some as giving the government a green light to use heavy-handed tactics to skew the presentation of views on the medium that increasingly dominates the dissemination of news. That is most unfortunate. Now, the good news is that the current makeup of the Supreme Court makes likely the success of a landmark free speech case whose merits have so far proven strong as evidence to bide the decisions of lower courts. As reported by Mercator back in July, Louisiana Judge Terry Doty conspicuously ruled, or used rather, the uh, United States national holiday, a day when federal rulings are rarely issued to release a blistering 155-page ruling against Biden and his co-belligerents. The judge in the very first paragraph said, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. 
keeping in mind, I mean, if you've ever read about the Alien and Sedition Act, that's, that's quite a statement. Now, the evidence thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario, added Judge Doty, who was an appointee of former President Donald Trump. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. That's, these, these are the judge's words. Now, Doty's July ruling prohibited numerous companies or numerous executive branch officials from contacting social media companies in an effort to collude in censorship of American citizens. The Biden legal team took Doty's ruling to the Court of Appeals in September and managed to narrow the scope of the preliminary injunction. But even so, as reported by the New York Post, a three-judge panel found that the White House, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the FBI likely coerced or significantly encouraged social media platforms to moderate content. That's a nice way of saying censor. And in doing so, likely censored free speech. So Ben Tarangi says, look, it's about time President Biden and his censorious allies suffer legal defeat for their shameless suspension of Americans' First Amendment rights and that they wear all of the embarrassment that comes with such a ruling. Until then, it's going to be a nervous wait to see if sanity prevails in the Marble Palace. Kind of have some mixed feelings on this one. I mean, look, on the one hand, it's like, great. This is going to the Supreme Court. The downside, of course, is, but this is going to take months, like the better part of the next year before we actually get a ruling. I think typically they'll hear the arguments, they'll construct their their findings or their ruling, and then we won't hear about it till probably sometime in June. So I'm concerned that that leaves a lot of time for continued suppression of free speech. I mean, we are, we are moving in a very, we're moving in a very authoritarian direction. And I don't think that you're going to see those in power, the ones who implemented lockdowns, the ones who implemented mandates, the ones who have worked so hard to stop what they call misinformation, but really turns out to be factual information that simply undermines whatever lies or whatever, uh, you know, misperceptions they're trying to promote. Those folks are still in power. And in my opinion, they're just looking for the next emergency. It may or may not be a pandemic. Maybe it'll be war. Maybe it'll be some kind of economic event. I don't know. But the fact that none of them really have apologized, that none of them have stepped down, I shouldn't say none. The vast majority of them have not stepped down from power or been removed from power. In other words, they're still capable of of doing a pretty large amount of mischief. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist when I say this, but we've got a year to go, a year and a day until uh, the the election um, next November. Don't you just get a sense that things are just going to come off the rails this year? I'm not hoping for it. And, I, and I'm really hoping that I'm not vindicated. I'm not hoping that, you know, a year from now, people are like, Brian, you were so right. Wow. Here we are <laughs> sitting here in sackcloth and ashes because our country has collapsed all around us. No, I don't really want to be right. 
I'm just saying as, as weird and crazy as things have been, the, you know, the violence and the, the confrontations in the streets, seems like people are pretty geared up, pretty, pretty wound up for that matter. Had to have a talk with a couple of my kids, you know, driving and just tell them, you know, I get it. You get frustrated out there and, you know, sometimes other drivers are less than considerate. But I got to warn my kids and and I got to remind myself. People are really wound up today. Some people are looking for, you know, an excuse to uh, blow off some steam. It's almost like you got to walk on eggshells. Such are the times we live in. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to my show notes... I would uh, encourage you, just go to thebrianhideshow.com, scope it out, and if it looks like, uh, yeah, there's some good information here, well, click on it. I provide it every day that I do the, the, the show. I just send a copy to your email if you subscribe, and it saves you the trouble of having to go to my website to, to check it out. Seriously, I'll send it to your email, and that's that. So, yeah, can you believe it's it's been almost a month? It'll be a month tomorrow since uh, Hamas initiated their attack on Israel. Of course, where that goes, I don't know. It's been so fascinating to watch the the artificially drawn lines. Are you pro-Palestinian or do you stand with Israel? And and it seems like the <clears throat> the ground where those of us who really look, I don't support Hamas and their terrorism, but I don't support the Israeli government and their brutal repressive policies. I you know, it's possible both can be wrong. And and this is one of the concerns. I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here for a second. I think a lot of Americans mistake, and this is religious Americans, particularly evangelicals. They mistake the government of Israel for the tribe of Israel. I'm just, uh, I'm not a Zionist. I am not a uh, Palestinian militant. I think there's a lot of uh, wrongdoing that has gone on over the years between the inhabitants of Palestine and the uh, Israeli government and those who reclaimed that land for the nation of Israel. It's it's some long-term ugliness, and a lot of the blood being spilled is being spilled by people who really don't even remember. We've just been fighting them all along. They've been fighting us, and it's ugly. But it does raise a very interesting possibility, and this is the one I'm going to talk about uh, for, for this segment, and that is the idea that there are, there are millions of people coming across our southern border with the blessing of our federal government. Now, I, I don't know, you know, if this is some organized effort. Yes, they're letting military-aged men come in, you know, so they can over, overcome the, the nation after we send all of our guys off to fight in the Middle East. I don't know what it is. I just know that uh, the prospect is there and it feels like the the likelihood is higher than it was even a few months ago that uh, we could see similar, you know, random terror attacks taking place here. Now, some guys I know have kind of jumped on that for the last month. Well, what's your loadout when you're going to work today, man? 
What kind of rifle are you packing? You got your plates with you? You got your body armor? How many reloads are you carrying with you? And I get it. Look, when it comes to saving yourself in the event of some terror attack, it's a pretty safe bet. Your government is not going to be the one there to save you. Not that, uh, you know, there aren't brave people who work for them that would show up, you know, as fast as they can come. But in that moment of need, it's not going to happen. So J.B. Shirk says, look, I'm writing you an essay about surviving. We should be living our lives today with an expectation that something bad will soon happen. Now, he says that feeling shouldn't dominate our existence or preclude us from pursuing rich and joyful lives. But... He says it should keep us mentally vigilant and physically prepared before disaster strikes. In this Obama-Biden America of open borders, out-of-control violent crime, economic fragility, and international provocations, it's just a matter of time before conflicts abroad become conflicts at home. And his point is it's vitally important to keep your head on a swivel. The October 7th Hamas terror attacks on Israeli civilians serve as a shocking reminder that evil is raring to go when people least expect it. One second, concert concert goers were enjoying festival music. The next second, they were struggling to escape slaughter. One moment, families were asleep in their beds, and the next moment, gunmen were breaking into their homes. Life and death situations require critical thinking without the luxury of time. Therefore, those who have already mentally prepared for the worst put themselves in the best position to prevail. Do you understand what he's saying? You don't have to be consumed with bad news and dwell on it all the time. But you should be aware and have gamed out some kind of a plan. If I was sitting here and I heard what sounded like gunshots, where would I go? What would I do? You know, who is with me? What would I do to to help them get to safety? That doesn't make you paranoid. That makes you aware. Now, unfortunately, J.B. Shirk points out that Americans are at a disadvantage today. And it's because we've been conditioned to depend entirely upon government institutions for protection. A culture that values strength and self-reliance produces citizens who are capable of defending themselves when necessary. A culture that embraces victimhood, views masculinity, masculinity rather as toxic, or finds language triggering, and insists that only government agents should be armed with weapons, is a culture ripe for swift defeat. Furthermore, too many official U.S. government policies are intentionally geared toward harming Americans. No sane nation interested in the safety of its citizens would open its borders to tens of millions of illegal aliens or refuse to prosecute violent criminals or secretly resettle anti-American military-aged refugees into unsuspecting American communities. No sane nation wastes its resources harassing patriotic citizens as domestic enemies while turning a blind eye to the damage caused by Antifa and BLM riots and the very real threats from Islamic terrorism. Now, FBI Director Ray just admitted the other day that his agency is not tracking currently operating foreign terror cells in the United States. In fact, he said the gaps in our intelligence are real and that's something we have concerns about. Well, that's good to know. At this point, nobody is denying that foreign terrorists are using America's illegal immigration crisis to slip into the country. In fact, during Biden's time in office, Border Patrol officers have encountered nearly 7 million immigrants, while over 2 million known gotaways evaded initial detection. Tens of thousands of Middle Easterners have successfully entered the country 
illegally. In 2023, nearly 1,000 people on the FBI's terrorist watch list have been apprehended. But nobody knows the true scope of the terrorist gotaways. So what he's saying is this. The cold hard truth is, through its open border policies and refugee resettlement programs, the federal government is actively aiding and abetting the next terrorist attack on the United States. Now, the FBI has proved time and again that it has no interest in preventing terrorism inside America's borders. While it directs its funding, resources, and agents' time toward targeting Trump supporters for their political beliefs, it has repeatedly failed to act on intelligence that would have prevented every Islamic terror attack since 9-11. Neither the FBI nor the larger intelligence community is motivated by the prospect of saving American lives. Which raises an interesting question, doesn't it? Why would the U.S. government see Americans as expendable? The most straightforward answer is that it doesn't serve the American people, but is instead interested exclusively in expanding its own powers. What 9-11 confirmed for the intelligence community is that even its worst failures can be used to institute unconstitutional laws, such as the Patriot Act, that serve to broaden government authority. And in the subsequent two decades, the federal government has created a complex surveillance system that enables it to spy on every citizen of the United States. Not only has freedom been foolishly traded for the promise of security, but that promise also turned out to be a lie. So every attack on American citizens turns out to be another excuse to disarm them, monitor them, censor their speech. The federal government has a vested interest in enabling terrorism because it provides a prepackaged rationale for eliminating the American First, Second, and Fourth Amendment rights. Concomitantly, the federal government has in, has a vested interest in targeting Trump supporters as domestic extremists because they represent the largest group of Americans fighting for the preservation of the Constitution's Bill of Rights. So, J.B. Shirk says, That said, the danger of our situation is stark. The U.S. government cannot be trusted to protect Americans. We are on our own. He says, accept this fact and plan accordingly. Situational awareness awareness has never been more important. Be leery of large public public gatherings, especially those in gun-free zones. Approach every new setting with caution and immediately do two things. Locate every available exit and two, if you're not already in possession of a weapon, identify what you could use in a pinch. A sturdy glass jar or bottle is just as deadly as a brick. If you can legally carry a firearm, do so. If you're comfortable with a knife, carry one that locks into place. If you're uncomfortable with both firearms and knives, wear a thick belt with a weighty buckle. Not only does a belt make an ideal tourniquet, but it can also be used as a whip to keep an attacker at bay or something to wind around your wrist wrist and forearm for protection. Now, interestingly, he also points out, think about your footwear. Before heading out in flip-flops or high heels, J.B. Shirk says, Maybe it would be a good idea to be prepared to run away from danger. Even if you're in a car, you got to make sure you have appropriate footwear. If you're forced to flee your vehicle, you're far from home, the distance you have to trek could be serious. He's got some more good advice. We'll come back to it on the other side of the break. Or you can check it out in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. These are the show notes for November 6th, 2023. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, I'm sharing this article from J.B. Shirk, and I'll admit, this is one that's a little on the, whoa, (laughs) we're going to have terror attacks here. I don't think he's stating it as a certainty, but just stating it as a very strong possibility, and one that grows stronger with, uh, you know, every new wave of uh, unvetted individuals pouring across the southern border with the help of the United States government. You know, I, I'm really, I'm an open borders kind of person. I think it should be as eventful crossing the border into Canada or crossing the border into Mexico as it is crossing, you know, a state line. I think that's really about how simple it should be. But having said that, there are an awful lot of military age men that seem to be coming to the U.S. They're led into this country, and it's not a matter of, well, I guess I'll go hang out at uh, Home Depot and see if somebody will hire me to do some day laborer work. No. They're given debit cards that are automatically recharged each month, you know, with whatever money they, they need. They have places to go. They're sent to various cities, and, I, you know, I don't claim there's some great conspiracy here. I'm just saying if you were, if you were going to send out cells of people to do mischief, to cause harm. That would be a really good way to do it. I mean, what would you do different? Anyway, J.B. Shirk says a couple other things you want to consider. He says, pay attention. Okay, situational awareness is going to be a good one. Think about your footwear. Think about, you know, what you can do to protect yourself and be aware of stuff. He says, spend time discussing various scenarios with your family. This is, by the way, a very good idea. Should should communication networks go down, know exactly where each member will go during an emergency. Should home base no longer be a safe option, have a backup location where everybody knows to go. But plan ahead so you're not scrambling during chaos. Organize gear and supplies for three different emergencies. A get-home bag that will help you should you be stranded. A go bag that provides you with tools, medicines, and money to last about a day, and a bug-out bag that that includes sufficient food and resources and potable water, or for potable water, rather, to survive for at least three days. But here's the key. For any of these to really work, you have to have them ready to go at a moment's notice. You can't be pulling it together, you know, while the house is burning down. So for most people, home is a much more secure retreat during an emergency than facing potential dangers on the road. That being the case, now's the time to stock up and fortify your castle. Expect loss of electricity, heat, and running water. Know exactly how many weeks or hopefully months of food and prescription medicines you have on hand. Know how you will get water. Know how you'll stay warm. Know how you'll defend yourself and your loved ones from home invasion. Think everything through today so that executing contingency plans during an emergency becomes second nature. Now, from here, he says, you know, run from danger where possible. Barricade yourself behind closed doors if you must hide. If you have no other choice, fight for your life. Make an attacker pay dearly. Work with others to overwhelm any threat. Be decisive and fight dirty. Make yourself a risky target. Do not expect government help. You must be prepared to defend your own life. I know that feels kind of harsh, doesn't it? That's It's like, oh, man. <laughs> Why? Why do I have to shoulder this responsibility? And look, I don't have an answer for you other than because nobody's coming to your rescue. And because you're up to this. You're good enough. You, you can make the decisions you need to make. Trust yourself. 
Really, you need to trust yourself on this. All right, a couple quick articles I want to touch on in the time we have left. Um, the article of the day, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, Stephen King. I will concede one of the best books that Stephen King wrote was The Shawshank Redemption. And it was made into a film which I think they actually did justice to the story. Very brilliantly acted by Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, and John Miltimore goes through the whole you know, story of the Shawshank Redemption and all the different characters. And, you know, there were a lot of villains, a lot of, uh, a lot of people in that, uh, in that storyline that were potential villains. But the real villain, the biggest villain in this prison-based drama is the state. It's the government. It's the system itself. And the corruption that it enables, the corruption it tolerates in order to protect itself. Powerful, powerful story, and thanks to John Miltimore for making that happen. All right, here's another one, and and I'm really sorry. I can't let this January 6th stuff go. But when a friend sent me this new footage, it was actually an interview, I believe uh, Laura Logan has has done a a Truth in Media series where she spoke with with an influencer by the name of Baked Alaska. And there was this news report that came out with fresh evidence that uh, infamous January 6th provocateur Ray Epps may have been an FBI plant. Now, Ray Epps has filed lawsuits against people who accused him of being a Fed. He has testified before the J6 committee and was basically given a cookie and told, you're a good boy, and sent along his way. But it is so interesting that the guy who was filmed outside BLM Plaza, January 5th, 2021, telling Trump supporters at least twice, we need to go into the Capitol. And he really emphasizes, into. Now, Baked Alaska says, you know, when he first heard uh, Epps talk about, we got to breach the Capitol, um, you know, Baked Alaska's like, let's go. (laughs) You know, he thought the guy was joking. But after he saw him repeat the line several times to different groups, he became convinced that the boomer was an FBI plant and up to no good. In fact, that's when he started chanting, you know, Fed, 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 and others picked up on it. So Baked Alaska says, look, I'm someone who creates funny content. I just like to agree with everyone. And if someone's saying something crazy, a lot of times I'll agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explaining what it does, why he does that to encourage a subject to keep talking. But he says, I felt weirded out by Epps, and he quickly moved on to another group. And he says, I'm getting away from this creep. He's weirding me out. I'm getting weird vibes. Something's off. Now, Baked Alaska told Laura Logan that everyone who heard Epps talking about going into the Capitol were taken aback. Baked Alaska says, I go to an- another group far away from him. He follows me, and that's when he starts instructing the crowd. And that's when he was saying, caught on tape again saying, we need to go into the Capitol. Right when he said that, something clicked in my head. According to Baked Alaska, he said it was like, whoa, this is scripted because he said the exact same line word for word three times, and that's not natural. I know the news media would be like, well, with no proof of this, no evidence to show this, but you got to admit, that's, that's pretty questionable. Does it prove it? Perhaps not. Does it raise the possibility, though, that that's what you're dealing with? Oh, I would say absolutely. Isn't it strange that Ray Epps kept going around to all the different little groups, instructing them on what to do on January 6th? 
I mean, Baked Alaska's like, look, maybe the first time he's being silly or something, but when he said it the third time, word for word, I knew there's a strong possibility this guy's a fed. I started that chant, and guess what? The whole crowd joined in with me in seconds. Now, he actually told Laura Logan that viral moment felt spiritual to him at the fine. He says, at the time, rather, that was the spirit moving. That was God saying, something's up here. Watch out, there's something going on. He says, that's what I felt in my heart as a believer, truly. Shortly after, or shortly before midnight, Epps took a more conciliatory tone with Baked Alaska, telling him, look, I also despise Black Lives Matter and Antifa. I stood him down myself with three Army vets in Queens Creek, Arizona, Epps said. To which Baked Alaska said, that's where I live. Are you my neighbor? And they talked, and they talked, and after a little more friendly banter, Epps said, we're not here to fight, man. He then leaned in and whispered, and this is caught on video, we're here to storm the Capitol and added, I'm not kidding. Now, Laura noted that Epps' words echoed the official narrative the next day that Trump supporters stormed the Capitol before it was broadcast across the nation. So Baked Alaska said that because he'd been banned from every social media platform, it was almost impossible for him to tell his story. So for the first year after J6, nobody heard a word about Epps. Baked Alaska said, I thought it was a big story. But I was banned off Twitter, I was banned off YouTube, I was banned off all social media, so I couldn't get the story out. Now he acknowledged he had no proof that Epps was a Fed, but remains convinced that he was. Now former Washington, D.C. FBI field office chief Stephen D'Antuano has acknowledged in sworn testimony that the Bureau had so many informants on the ground on January 6th that they lost track. They had to order an audit to account for all of them. And interestingly enough, federal prosecutors finally filed a criminal charge against Epps in September. He was charged with a single misdemeanor count of disruptive or disorderly conduct in a restricted area in U.S. District Court in Washington. That's a maximum punishment of a year in prison. Kind of makes you want to keep a little bit uh, closer tabs on this story, doesn't it? I mean, he's telling them we got to storm the Capitol. we got to go into the Capitol. I don't think much of what we've been told about January 6th is on the up and up. So let's be skeptical. This is The Brian Hyde Show.